Welcome back, Literary Slummers, to another Slummer reading episode of Hate Read. I'm one of your Stanomorphs, M. And I'm another of your Stanomorphs, Anna. Normally on Hate Read, we try to challenge each other to read books we think the other will hate, but this summer we are making our way downtown. <laughs> walking walking fast. fast. Faces <laughs> past to Animorphs town. <laughs> but da 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 da. Very good, yes. <laughs> Yeah, so we're reading yes. Animorphs. <laughs> we're reading we're reading as many of the Animorphs books as we possibly can this summer. Um, and today we're here to talk to you about Animorphs book number seven. I've, I would actually challenge you on the we're reading as many Animorphs books as we possibly can this summer because if I was not That's fettered true. by the confines of this podcast, I would have like breezed <laughs> through this entire series by now. I'm so invested. This is true. I this is okay. Myself. <laughs> We're reading as many epi- book. Eh, we're reading as many Animorphs books as the podcast will yes, allow yes. us to this summer. <laughs> uh, and today we read book number seven, "The Stranger," mm-hmm. which is a Rachel POV yep. and features a grizzly bear on the cover. Mm-hmm. What did you think? Um, okay, so I. For the first like probably forty percent of this book, I was like, "Oh, the magic is gone." This is this mm. is just fine, <laughs> but then some shit went down, and I my yes. I'm like, how is this only the seventh book, and we're already getting into this shit? This is insanity. This is you should have had more faith I in know, K. A. Applegate. I, know I was a fool. She's like, I'm going to give you this boring book. Oh wait, no, I'm not. <laughs> Y'all, time travel, <laughs> bitches. <laughs> Yes, the Animorphs multiverse now is what we have been presented with in this book. It was intense, and I have a lot of questions and a lot of theories and a lot of just stuff I need to talk through. I'm very excited to hear all about Mm -hmm. it. Okay, well then I guess we should just get into the summary, so that way we can get to your theories as soon as possible. It's actually, I've said a lot of theories. I think I have one theory, maybe. That could be a lot to some people. I don't know. <laughs> a lot, by which I mean one. It could be a very in-depth yeah, and yeah. out-there theory, and that, that would constitute as it's a lot. Sure, yeah. It's a lot <laughs> to take in uh, emotionally. Yeah. yeah. All right, let's get All into right. it. Let's do this. So, um, Rachel is a child of divorce, mm. and this weekend it is Dad's weekend. And so, Rachel and her sisters and her dad and Cassie – because I guess Rachel needed a friend there to feel okay about going to the circus. I'll go to the circus. And Rachel sees how badly the elephants are treated. They're being like prodded with uh, cattle prods. They're being prodded with prods. <laughs> <laughs> and so she gets really mad and decides to sneak into the elephant enclosure and then turn into an elephant. Which I have to say, I mean, like, I know that we should be nice to animals but I have to say, I think the mistreatment of the elephants in this was kind of like, I was kind of underwhelmed. And I guess it's because it gets so grim dark in other places. I was like, okay, so they're zapping them with cattle prods, which are used on animals which are much smaller and less hardy than elephants. I feel like that's not that. I mean, like, I'm not saying you should zap elephants with cattle prods, but... Yeah, no, circuses are generally pretty bad for animals. Yeah, like in general circuses, let's just not, but... I, I because this, these books have gone so hard in the paint in terms of like just utter misery before I was like oh that's that's it they're just kind of cattle prods which that's a little fucked up but I'm now desensitized to animal cruelty unless it's like they're chopping the elephant's ears off when they don't behave but like oh. <laughs> man yeah no I think. I think it's kind of like speaking to Rachel's very uh, Xena warrior princess mm-hmm. nature, where she sees an injustice and immediately goes That's true. out to try to right it. And of course, she has the special connection with elephants being... That's true. She is like half elephant yeah. at this point. She just does elephant all the time. Yeah. So she goes into the elephant enclosure or cage or whatever and turns, morphs into an elephant. Um. And then when the trainer comes back, she grabs him with her trunk and, like, lifts him up and talks to him and is like, I am the god of elephants. No, she's, Don't hurt she them anymore. comes up with, because I would say the god of elephants would be, like, I'd be on board with that. 
because it would be like, ooh, <laughs> some metaphysical shit. But she's like, I'm from the elephant patrol, from the elephant police. Oh, that's right. Yeah, she's like, I'm from the elephant police or something. <laughs> and I'm like, all right. <laughs> this is also the moment where it is confirmed that Rachel is the most bloodthirsty animorph. Because yes. oh my God. Cass is like, don't hurt the guy. And Rachel's like... I'm going to fuck him up. And Cassie's like, you need mm-hmm. to chill. <laughs> yeah. So Rachel is like, I really want this guy to get the message. So I'm not going to kill him. I'm not going to stomp on him, Cassie. Don't worry. But I will lift him up and throw him onto a roof that is 20 feet away. Mm-hmm. That guy's dead, right? <laughs> yeah. Like, I don't think he's going to be walking away from that, Rachel. No, to be fair, it wasn't a roof. It was the top of a tent. Which I feel like is more dangerous because he's going to fall Yeah, because he would just slide down and then fall, right? (laughs) And and, and she, like, delivers this line, like, can you fly? I'm going to make you fly. Yeah, it's (laughs) frozen. Like, Rachel. It's very Batman. (laughs) Yes. So Rachel's already, like, you know, on fire Mm -hmm. for this book. But then, after the circus, Rachel's mom and dad tell Rachel that and her sisters, that the dad is moving to another state a thousand miles away for work and basically ask Rachel to choose between the mom or the dad. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, God, like, <laughs> I'm also a child of divorce. And just like thinking about putting your child in that position. That's rough, dude. Yeah, it's not great. I mean, I don't know. I don't know what else. I, they could have done with that because it's like you at Rachel's age like you would want to give them an option I feel like oh yeah definitely but because she's she's 13 like she should be able to make she should have some sort of agency in her life and I yeah. mean, it's not really the dad's fault like he did get a job somewhere else I mean I don't know maybe he should have turned that job down I don't know yeah I don't know like there's you have to sacrifice some stuff, I think, if you want to stay present in your kid's life in this situation. Mm-hmm. Like, my parents lived in two separate cities, but, like, within a 25-minute drive of each other. But even that was difficult at times because you don't, like, you you have to have very specific times when you can see each parent because, obviously, the other can't just drop you off at school in the morning real easily. And so, I don't know. It just, there there is that distance there. And I can't imagine your dad going all the way to another state for a job I don't know I don't know I would I, I question that that move on his part not even just another state because that that could be do like I I live in the tri-state area in like Ohio Kentucky Indiana so I mean like there are, I know people who have kids in other states in the sense right. that the states are pretty close to each other and you can easily drive there for a weekend like they specifically say this job is a thousand miles away from where mm-hmm. they are living which is not that's not a every weekend drivable distance. Like. Yeah, and he says, like, oh, that's what they have jets for. Like, you're not going to have a private jet, though. Right. Like, and I mean, well, this kind of gets back to the point of, like, maybe he should have just turned the job down because it's like, he neither of the parents seem to be hurting for money, right? He's a yeah. news anchor who... And Rachel's mom's an attorney. And Rachel's mom's an attorney. So, it, yeah, it doesn't seem like oh, I have to take this job to give you kids a better life. It seems like he's like, oh, this is my dream job. I want to do it. So I'm just going to go. I'm like, I don't know, man. You got three kids and two of them are definitely not going to be able to come live with you and are very young. And like, you should probably be there for them. I don't know. Yeah. So, I mean, essentially he's just like tearing this family apart and is like, I guess fuck my other two daughters. Right. I'm not going to fight c- for custody for all of the family. I just want the good one that's like a boy, Rachel. Yeah, I mean, I I think it's actually pretty admirable that he isn't trying to fight for custody for all of them because I feel like that would be even shittier because, like, they have a life there, these, oh, yeah. these kids. And he's being a dick, I think, by <laughs> moving a thousand miles away from his kids. Um, yeah, and again, yeah. I'm not saying that that's always the case. If like you're in a certain financial circumstance or whatever, you want to provide certain things for your kids that moving further away might be able to do. But in this circumstance, it it seems like he's being very uh, self centered with yeah, his decisions. It's a little bit like 
emotionally manipulative yeah. too. But like, think I could get you in real good with this gymnastics coach, and think of all the ball games we could go to. It'd just be me and you, and I'm afraid to be all on my own, Rachel. So come live with me. Yeah, not the best. Not a good look, Mr. Rachel's dad. <laughs> I think Rachel gets really upset by all of this and decides the best thing to do is to uh, go flying. And so she turns into, I don't know, does she take the eagle form? I think. I, think. I don't know. She has like three birds. It's kind of unfair. Um, she becomes an eagle and goes to the garden and acquires a grizzly bear morph. She just like lands in the cage, turns into a human, and then goes and touches a grizzly bear. It's fine. Well, the grizzly bear knows no fear, so the grizzly bear is fine with this. That's true. He's like, I have nothing to be afraid of. I'm not territorial at all. I'm a grizzly bear. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, Marco and Tobias have discovered another entrance to the Yerk pool in the mall. Which is, again, a moment in which we realize Jake is a shitty leader. because to- Jake is such a bad leader. <laughs> Tobias and Marco are like, hey... We decided to do some surveillance and follow around the people that we know are controllers um, and, like, check it out, track him. Like, Tobias is doing air surveillance. I'm doing, like, land surveillance. Well, I guess, you know, it's all kind of land. So anyway, um, (laughs) and everyone's like, you didn't let us in about this. Like, why didn't you tell us? And it's like, why didn't, why wasn't Jake already doing this? Yeah, why didn't Jake orchestrate this? This is a very obvious move, right? Like, what have you got? Again, they're not practicing. They're not apparently doing surveillance. What are they doing in between these (laughs) instances? In between these, like, there's usually, like, a week or so that seems to pass in between each book. Yeah. What the fuck are they doing? (laughs) I don't know. Watching cartoons. Yeah. I have no idea. Team bonding. Like, I I don't understand why... And this has kind of been, like, bothering me for a little while. And I don't know if I've mentioned it yet. But the fact that Axe can take all of their DNA and morph it into one human, why can't they ask Axe how to do that so yes. they can start making these, like, hybrid animals? Yes. Or even hybrid people so they can do surveillance more. Like, Oh, yeah, that too. But, of course, they wouldn't think of that because they're not doing any surveillance unless they plan it themselves Instead of their shitty leader who doesn't lead ever they, doing they any planning. They probably didn't tell Jake because Jake would have been like, nah, that's not a good idea. Let's not do they that. They probably didn't tell Jake because <laughs> Jake's opinion doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> he would have messed it up somehow. Right. He, he would have been like, like, okay, let's all become bugs and go to the mall. <laughs> God damn it, Jake. Um, so the entrance to the Yerk Pool is in a dressing room at the Gap. And it exits at the movie theater. Which, I guess my question is, how many controllers work at the Gap? Because that would be, like, you just need, like, one new hire to be like, no one's coming out of that dressing room. What's going on? Yeah, my question is, why do they have the exit and entrance in a different place? That's a good question. (laughs) Why isn't it just the entrance is at the movie theater and the exit is also at the movie theater? Because that would make way more sense because nobody's keeping track of who all is going in and out of a movie theater. Except Tobias. Pe- pe- right, except Tobias. But people who work at a retail store theoretically are supposed to be keeping track of who goes in and out of a dressing room. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's so weird to me. Like, What is also weird to me is the fact, and this is another one of those instances where I'm like, maybe I just don't know about this and I'm legitimately putting a call out into the universe to see if anybody can answer this for me. At one point they're like, oh, we went and put our stuff in the coin lockers at the mall. Uh Do do malls do that? I mean, like probably not now because if they had lockers, it would be like the type with keypads and whatever, but they used to. Like, they would Did have they? them by, like, the restroom area. Like, Okay. Yeah. Why? That seems like it would just encourage, like, stealing, right? Like, yeah. I don't know if I would leave anything. Maybe it was more like... No, I no, mean, like, more I like... there's no like, way to do that. From a mall security standpoint, having lockers would make it a lot easier to go, like, get a shirt from Abercrombie, hide it in the locker until, like, later, and then come back and get it, you know? Like, mm, I see what you mean. I, yeah, I feel like that's not like you don't want to give people a place to stash stuff. <laughs> but also on the other side, 
of the coin, if they have somewhere to stash all of their bags, they can get more bags, forgetting how many bags they already had, and then just have so many bags of shopping at the mall. I think that that, it's like a survival of the fittest situation, that if you cannot carry the bags (laughs) that you have bought, you have bought too many bags. Very true. And you need to go home. So I think it's it's probably, at least in my neck of the woods, I don't know of any malls that have lockers. But maybe I'm just, I just have never partook of the lockers. <laughs> yeah, I think from, I don't know if they would still have them. Because again, like, maybe it's just a little bit outdated. People don't really mm. spend all day at the mall anymore. You kind of go in right. and get what you want, right? As opposed to yeah. like, oh, let's go eat at the restaurant, but I don't want to bring all my bags. Or let's go to the movie theater and I don't want to bring my bags, you know? Oh, that's a good point. I feel like most of the malls that have had movie theaters, the movie theaters, at least around me, like I don't, I think the movie theaters have closed down at this yeah. point. Yeah. So that is a good point. So people just don't hang out at the mall anymore, so they don't need lockers. Yeah. It's fine. Just let them all die. We don't need them. We shop online. Sorry. <laughs> uh, so the gang decides to infiltrate the underground cavern that is the Candrona pool um, in an attempt to find the Candrona that is on Earth. So apparently there is like, they need to get the rays from somewhere. And they have brought this thing that is called a Candrona, which is a little bit abstract in my mind still. I don't know if they mm-hmm. mentioned. It's just like a globe of light. I don't know. Yeah, if it's... I'm picturing it as like a mini sun yes. sort of situation. So I thought I thought it was just like I don't know, like UV lamps or something. They had but no, it's like an actual sun, uh, miniature sun. And they have one on the ship up in space, which is fine for the people that aren't humans, but they can't really conveniently shuttle humans from space to ship. I mean, Earth to ship frequently. So they have one on Earth. And if they destroy this one on Earth, it will become difficult for the human controllers to take their restorative spa days. Um, and hopefully they will kill a bunch of them. So it's actually it's actually a good idea. Not a bad idea. I don't know if it was Jake's idea, but it wasn't a bad um, one. I don't think it was. I think it was Rachel's. <laughs> yes, my girl Rachel. I'm pretty as, sure. As Cassie as, is fond of saying as well, my girl Rachel. <laughs> yeah, she she puts my in front of stuff a lot. At one point in another book, she calls her like my friend, my girl. Like I'm like, okay, Cassie, I get that you're a team <laughs> so mom, possessive. but maybe stop talking like a 50 year old woman. My like, sweet daughter, Rachel. <laughs> my sweet darling, Rachel. Like, uh. They go to the mall and become cockroaches. Jake was so happy. Uh, and they enter the caves. And everything is going relatively fine until they run into a taxon who thinks they're bugs and tries to eat them. And, well, I mean, they are bugs. Yeah, they are bugs. And thinks they are just normal bugs and tries to eat them. Which he would have been doing Visser through a huge favor. What a funny way to end the series. Right? But um, as they are about to meet their doom, time freezes. And they are all forced out of their morphs. And Tobias is there. And he's a human. And Axe is there as an Andalite. Um, and this being known as the Elemist. Or as an, a- as an Elemist. I don't know if it's the or an uh, I mean, they refer to him as the, but there definitely are others of them. Yes. So his name is I probably think. just like Steve the Elemist or something. Yes. Yes. <laughs> but they don't know that because they're rude and don't ask. They didn't ask. Uh, <laughs> he revealed himself uh, to be the one who stopped time because he is an all-powerful be- being that can see into the future and tells mm-hmm. them that basically the humans are extinct because they lost their battle against the Yerks in the future, which... I don't know if that counts as extinction because there are still humans and they're probably still reproducing. Yeah. They're just not fully human. But if the Animorphs decide right then and there for the entirety of the human race, the Elmas will take the Animorphs and a select few humans to go live on another planet and basically start over without the fear of the Yerks. Though I don't know what would stop the Yerks from hunting them down, but I guess they wouldn't, assumably, would have a whole universe to look into, so that might be hard. I mean, I think the Yerks probably wouldn't know about it, right? Oh, like, I see. yeah. It's not like the Elmas is going to be like, all right, Yerks, you guys have fun here, and we're going to take these 20 people and go elsewhere. And Thank will- you for your time and patience. Have a good colonizing. <laughs> Peace out. We give you this planet. We've already destroyed it anyway. So go on. Right. <laughs> That's my thing. I was thinking like, maybe I would take that offer. Like, I wanted to ask. I wanted to ask where you would fall on this. Like it, if you would take the offer or not, because yeah. I don't know. 
I don't know what I would do. Think about it, though. You're 13 years old. This is a problem for the adults. <laughs> yes, I think that's that's one thing. I think if this was asked to me as a 13-year-old, I would definitely be like, yes, peace out. Can Take I bring this responsibility some from me, please. <laughs> I would be like... May I take my favorite authors with me so they can finish <laughs> I the take series? Tamora Pierce. I take I'm Diana Pierce. Wynne Jones. I think when I was 13, like, J.K. Rowling probably wasn't done with the Harry Potter series. So oh. I would have been like, can we bring her along? Yes, we definitely um, need her. Uh, yeah, but I, I would be all on board. Um, but if I was, like, the age I currently am, mm-hmm. older and wiser than a 13-year-old, uh-huh. I don't know if i would take the offer or not um it's very sudden partly because the offer is like i will take you and your loved ones to another planet um and you guys can like do the human race there Mm -hmm. and as a single person i don't know if i can limit my dating options that severely (laughs) (laughs) um but also like I, i do feel i would hopefully have more like desire to help fight against i don't know though because because this is this is the debate that comes up with the animorphs right they're like well yes we all want to be brave and fight and whatever but as cassie points out multiple times like environmentalists going to help animals oftentimes the animals fight back because they can't understand that it's the best thing for them i i can see both sides of the argument i don't know where i would what i would do if I was currently asked uh, to make this choice. I think if I was currently asked as 30-year-old Anna, mm-hmm. I'd be like, nah, bitch, I've read Slaughterhouse-Five. I'm You ain't putting me in no zoo. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. I definitely got evil vibes from the Elemis yes. at this point. I was like, nah, no, man, you cannot trust this. I, I reversed that position again by the end of the book. I'm mm-hmm. very pro elemist at this point. Mm-hmm. He might be my favorite character. But, but that, like, first encounter is very mm-hmm. suspicious. So sketchy. So sketchy. Do not do not go with strangers with candy. And in this case, the stranger is a uh, creepy, weird, time-stopping alien. And the candy is your own planet. Yeah. Like, no. <laughs> He's going to lay his eggs in you, oh is what God. I'm saying. I'm yeah. pretty sure. <laughs> yeah, he, he's just a different kind of parasite. Right. Um, but they all vote on it, and they turn down the deal, which is good. And uh, the Elmas says, okay, well, if you survive this encounter, I'll ask you again. And he starts tying back up, and they are once again cockroaches that are about to be eaten by the taxon. Uh, but they demorph and fight their way to a drop shaft that they know. To be clear... They demorph after being eaten by oh, the taxon, yeah. so they explode him from the inside with Axe's tail. I forgot about which, that detail. That's fucked. That is very gross. Um, <laughs> also, they are like really playing fast and loose with like letting Yurk see them. Like they demorph. Yes, yes. Not only fast and loose with seeing them, and I think they do kind of justify this in this. They're like, we're covered in taxon blood. They can't tell what we are. They can like, tell okay, you don't whatever. have tails. definitely and don't have four legs um but maybe they just assumed they morphed into humans from andalites or whatever but uh, as they are running away they start fucking screaming jake's name and i'm like you guys need code names what are you doing they are so like i'm sorry all of these yurks are so stupid if no one told viscer three about any of this like i understand they're probably afraid viscer three will come kill them but also like yeah, they're afraid that, because I highlighted this, that um, Viscer 3 will come and chew your bones. That's the threat that's used. They, mm. One of them says, get them, you fools, or Viscer 3 will chew your bones, which is a fucking weird threat for a species that doesn't have bones. <laughs> they're like slugs, right? <laughs> they're slugs, but bones. Like, I get, and this is a thing that I noticed a lot in this book and um, the next one, I think, there's a lot of, like, not real attention to how the Yerks would think about stuff. Because I think at one point, I'm not sure which book it's in, but they say something about like, oh, they said in the Yerk language. I'm like, why would the Yerks have, how, why and how would the Yerks have a language? Because That's a good question. they can't talk in their natural forms, yeah. except for like mind speak, and that transcends languages. So like, why do they have what? one of those? <laughs> What? Why? 
what's the point? <laughs> when did they use it? When did they come up with it? Like, that's a very good question. I th- yeah, huh? I think we need to study the linguistics of mm-hmm. these alien races. Mm-hmm. Um, but they they no- they noticed a drop shaft while the elemist was talking to them, and uh, they noticed that it was like going up and not down. So like an up shaft, not a drop shaft, but. Because the Elemis, like, doesn't appear to them when they first turn into Animorphs. They, like, have to walk out of the yes. cafeteria and into the... And then he appears, which yes. is important it's, for later. Yes. It's very convenient placement of the Elemist. Mm-hmm. Um, and they use the drop shaft to get back to the surface. And I assumably go home and nap. Yes. <laughs> um, and Rachel turns into a bear for the first time. Oh, that's true. And nearly kills everyone. Because yes. she's, like, she goes in bear rage. ape shit. Uh, yeah. She, like, lets the grizzly bear mind take over and just, like, starts fucking some hork up. And also, again, everyone's, like, I, I think at this point, maybe it was earlier in the planning, but they're, like, oh, Rachel, I can't believe you went and acquired a new morph without telling anyone. It's, like, well, maybe if Jake was Maybe if Jake encouraged things, anything. Encouraged, you know, going and getting new morphs. You guys should be at that fucking zoo every single day. Like, what are you doing yes. until you run out of animals? Get them all. You have no limitations that we know of to how many animals you can have. Get all of the animals. Why is only one of you an elephant? What's happening? <laughs> all be all animals always. Oh, it's 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 the worst system anyone could have come up with. You're a human teenager. You were given the power to turn into an infinite amount of animals and you stick with seven? Right. Jake, come on. What? Jake. Get it together. And five of them are bugs, Jake. <laughs> and most of the rest are birds. And yeah. you guys don't need all of these birds. No. Yeah, Rachel has like an owl, an eagle, and then some other type of bird I think she mentioned is happening. Yeah. It's too many birds. Too many birds. Not Diversify enough. your portfolios. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, Y'all really have not even gone into the reptilian side of things jake has a lizard and that's pretty much it y'all need to go get some snakes their jaws are so strong and they run so fast so much faster than you would think Mm -hmm. (laughs) so some time passes and the elemist returns to make the offer to the animorphs again and this time he's like i have something to show you children and he transports them all to a dystopian future where the Yerks have destroyed almost the entire planet and everything is grim and gross and gross and gross. <laughs> There's like buildings with holes cut into the side so that the taxons can slither around inside of them and have nests. Which, I mean, yes, that seems grim from our perspective, but for the taxons, I'm sure they appreciate the increased accessibility. <laughs> That was a beautiful paradise for the taxons. <laughs> right. Uh, they wander around for a bit. And again, Tobias is there as a human. Um, they're all demorphed. Axe is an Andalite. And they wander around their hometown for a little while. They take note that the tallest building in town, which is the EGS Tower, is the only building remaining in the downtown area. Everything else has been leveled. And there's a weird dome on top of it. And there's a huge Kindrona pool around it. And uh, they eventually run into Visser 3, who has been promoted to Visser 1 in this future, and an adult Rachel, who has been yerked up. They also first pretend to be Visser 3. That's true. This was a bad very funny. Tobias. <laughs> like, anyone who has seen Visser 3 slash 1 would look at Axe and be like, you are very small. You're a small child. You're so small. But... So small. But it was very good, quick thinking, I think, and yeah. very funny because then Visser three slash one shows up, and it's like everyone's like, "Oh yeah, no, it's definitely not." Yeah, <laughs> they took one look and they were like, "Oh man, we got fooled." <laughs> um, but adult Rachel and Visser three one appear here because they know from Rachel's past that the animorphs all show up. At this instance in time. Mm-hmm. Except adult Rachel thinks that there are supposed to be six human Animorphs. And seems confused by the presence of Axe. So Rachel kind of comes to the ch- 
child, Rachel, kind of comes to the conclusion that maybe this is a possible future as opposed to the actual dead-on future 100% going to happen. Yeah. Uh, Which I didn't really get that why adult Rachel would be confused by that, though. uh, I guess because time has already changed for, or I don't know, man. I don't know. I was... Multiverse. Yeah, yeah. Because I was like, it's not like... It's like adult Rachel, because the, the, it's that the Yerks can access Rachel's memories. Uh-huh. And at the point that Rachel goes into the future, she has already met Axe. So no matter what, from any possibility divergent from them, the adult Rachel should be aware of the existence of Axe, right? Like, the- so I don't understand. Like, even if it was like, oh, Axe died in a different reality. And so like adult Rachel was expecting... But, like, she shouldn't be that thrown by it because she knows that Axe exists no matter what at this point. I don't because know. I, I think, young Rachel has met Axe at this point. I think the Elemis just took them to a parallel universe where there were six kids at the construction site instead of five, and then Axe, like, died under, in the water. I don't know. But then none of this is even relevant because that's a it's completely a different... It's a possible future, not but it's not future. a poss- But it's not a possible future not from... for them for them right so like what is this i don't know i i i thought that was the weak the weak part of i don't think that was explained enough why axe being there through rachel so much yeah i think it's just kind of like an an accessible way to show that time can change yeah i guess yeah just yeah not not like super fleshed out but yeah it just felt a little sloppy compared to (laughs) what i'm expecting of an animorphs book yeah honestly though (laughs) she is she's gone a lot deeper in some of her other yeah novels here um but so rachel turns into a grizzly bear and is about to kill this or one but they are whisked away back to their own time before she can do it and they decide this time the future is too scary they will accept the elemis offer but then nothing fucking happens. Yeah, because the Elemis had said, oh, as soon as you accept it, I'll take you guys to the new planet and it'll be chill. Yeah. It'll be chill as fuck. But they're like, we all accept this idea. Except I think... Is Jake Tobias, is the only holdout, I Is think. Jake the holdout? I was well, like, no, I know Tobias, there's one holdout. Maybe Tobias, too. Because I, I know he's very against it at first, but I can't remember if he switches his position or not. So Rachel... Finally comes to the conclusion that the Elemis was showing them this possible future in the hopes that they could change it. I guess she was she was just perceptive enough to pick up on these little clues. Well, they she figures out that the Elemis first off, they have this weird thing in their history class where their teacher like is talking about World War Two and how or maybe World War One, World War Two, and like how we don't know if things would have gone differently if we'd entered the world the war earlier. But because of, like, the butterfly effect and, like, a butterfly flapping its wings can change, you know, everything. And then she, like, repeats that, like, three times and seems to be, like, in a trance. So, like, that's obviously the Elemis, too, right? Yes. Um, Yes. But then Rachel realizes that the Elemis, like, pulled that, like, in their first interaction, made them walk to that spot so that they could see the, um, the, the thing, the whatever, um, the tube. And then from that, she's like, well, if he was trying to intentionally get us to notice something, maybe he was trying to get us to intentionally notice something in this other one, too. And then she realizes that he essentially showed them where the Kendrona was by having them visit this exact moment. Right. Um, So she picks up on all those little clues that everyone else, especially Jake the Leader, is too dumb to realize. And... uh, because the Elemis is not allowed to directly interfere with anything, so he's just, like, trying to push him around and not nudge him in the right direction, blah, blah, blah. And we know a little bit about, like, the Elemis because apparently Axe and the Andalites know of the Elemists. And this is, like, yes. they're kind of, like, they're kind of described, like, genies, sort of, where they're, like, they offer you this choice, but they really uh, know which one you're, like, they, they're trying to manipulate you by offering this choice, and they're... Mm. Um, kind of like a little bit Faye, too. Yeah, yeah. So, like, Axe really doesn't trust him. Yes. So, yes, they go to the EGS Tower, which Rachel has realized is where the on-Earth Kindrona is. And they basically go on a full-out offensive, attack the tower in their most powerful morphs. Rachel 
kicks ass as a grizzly bear, but like loses one of her paws. <laughs> she didn't even realize that girl is brutal. And she like at one point, there's like a bunch of Hork Bajir soldiers in front of them, and she's like, everyone thought I was being so brave by charging at them, but really grizzly bears just have sucky eyesight, and I thought there were only like three of them. And yeah, I, I thought they were humans. <laughs> and I was like, good, good, this is good. Like, good job, Rachel. <laughs> Yeah, and she even, like, throws one out a window at one point. Yeah. And they're on the top floor of this very tall skyscraper sort of Rachel of is coming for blood. There's yes, also a line earlier thirsty. in the book when she's flying out to, like, meet with Tobias or something, which there was some heavy Rachel Tobias shit in this book. Oh, yes, yes. But she's flying out to meet with Tobias to because she, like, wants to talk to him about the divorce thing or the moving thing. But then she, like, chickens out and can't tell him about it. Um, but... She, like, sees a, like, rodent running around in her eagle form, and she's like, I wanted to crush its te- its skull under my talons and, like, see all the blood gushing out. Yes. And she's like, but I didn't, because, you know, like, Tobias is a predator, and he he has to do that sort of thing, but I don't have to do I'm I like, okay, Rachel, we need, to, we need to discuss your need to kill, because it's a little <laughs> much. Uh, it's becoming a problem. And then she morphs into an elephant because that is the biggest of the morphs. And she pushes Mm -hmm. the Kondrona off the top floor of the EGS tower and breaks it. Yay. So I guess like mission accomplished, though. There wasn't Mm -hmm. much fanfare after that. The Elmas is just like, LOL, you figured out my plan. Bye, guys. Good job. Good job. Because when he first shows up, he's like, he takes them on a little tour of the earth and he's like look at all this beautiful stuff that the earth is i'll rescue you guys and a couple species look at how beautiful the earth is as a whole Mm -hmm. so cassie's like oh yeah it's like environmentalists trying to save like endangered species by taking them and moving them to like a protected area which is like very i think actually because i was like annoyed with cassie's thing but i'm like that is what environmentalism generally was in the 90s but it's actually a much more um modern environmentalist view which is that you protect ecosystems not species Mm -hmm. Uh, because that's what the elemist actually wants is that he wants the earth to be saved because it as a whole is beautiful not he doesn't actually care about these individual species right yeah so i was like yes yes thank you yes (laughs) yeah see the elemist is like surprisingly uh deep and benevolent yeah and I, I love that idea. Like, I love the trope of um, something more powerful, but limited in how they can assist. Mm-hmm. So they have to, like, work the system in a way that makes it possible for someone else to work outside the system, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I was like, yes, this is very good. I'm very into all of this. <laughs> I approve. I approve. Oh, so, and Rachel, Rachel decides not to go with her dad. Yeah, yeah, obviously, or else the series would be over. For Rachel. Well, Rachel's part in it would be, yeah. it would be like a, a Stacy in the Babysitter's Club where she just shows up occasionally after having moved back to New York. Yeah, and everyone's like, sorry, Stacy, we have all these inside jokes. We don't need you anymore. You don't live here anymore. Go away. <laughs> so, yeah, that was The Stranger. It went, again, mm-hmm. like, massive lore dump. Yes. A lot of, I, I knew eventually we were going to get to time travel because of, like, we kind of spoiled ourselves with some of looking at some of the titles and stuff. Uh-huh. Um, but I did not expect time travel this early in the series and multiverses and stuff. She's setting a strong foundation. Yeah, it is book seven and we are already there. Also, there was a lot of shipping stuff in this book, mm-hmm. I thought. Especially mm-hmm. Axe and Jake. Well, yeah, because Axe is still very much on the my prince kick. I follow I, Prince Jake. Yes, I will do as he, he commands me. Okay, Axe. Um... <laughs> The Marco Cassie stuff, a little bit less so. They're still pushing that Cassie and Jake are a couple, but I would say they are a fucking terrible couple because there are multiple times when Cassie's like, like at the beginning when they go to the circus, Rachel eventually tells Jake about it, mm-hmm. but they hide Cassie's involvement because they know Jake would be annoyed. Yeah. And it's like, I'm not saying you have to tell your significant other absolutely everything, but, like, you shouldn't outright lie to your significant other well, about shit. And the other thing, too, is I don't know if Rachel knows that they're a couple. Because she says that she knows Cassie has a crush on Jake. I think but that they... say that about them being together. Like, I don't think they're true. open about it yet. 
That's true. But either way, Cassie as yeah, Cassie's not the person who's dating Jake should be honest with Jake about <laughs> open lines of communication. Right. And I mean, there's a little bit of like Cassie saying stuff to Marco that could be interpreted as, you know, flirting, but yeah, not going to get too far into that. Cassie, what is he going to do? Kick you off the Animorphs? Right. Come on, Cassie. You're the best morpher. You're the best morpher. Everyone knows it. <laughs> so most valuable morph, obviously, Rachel, right? Um, I would say, I agree that Rachel is very valuable in this book, but because I am trying to not always give it to the viewpoint character, Mm -hmm. I'm going to go with Tobias for a couple reasons. Okay. Um, number one, I think he was most valuable to Rachel in terms of like, she's trying to like their friendship, even if we don't want to get like shippy shippy with it, like their friendship is very strong in this book. Mm -hmm. Like the moments where she's trying to figure like she's upset about the move and she like flies out to see him and is like he's trying to be very like he's very good at being like i know something's wrong like do you want to talk about it like he's a very good friend to her number one this is true yes they obviously have a deep connection that is like not superficial because he is a hawk boy and she is a human girl which also every time he turned back into a human and she like wants to go hug him she I'm, like, did oh. hug him like, yeah, she does she hug him the first she time she ran yeah. up to him and she said he had dreamy eyes. Yes, very cute. But also, Tobias, I think, has the most to gain by agreeing to the Elemist. Yes, he can. And become he's human like, again. "Fuck, no, I'm not being, hu- I'm not being manipulated like this." So his he knows what's up. He he's he shows himself to be very committed to the cause in this book, which I think that Rachel is kind of faltering, understandably so, because she's having these like troubles of like. I really want to go have a normal life with my dad because that's really what it boils down to. It's yeah. it's more than just, oh, my mom versus my dad. It's like, if she goes with her dad, she doesn't have to deal with this shit anymore. Yeah, so no, I don't blame her. Right, totally, I don't blame her. But I think that in terms of like continuing the war, continuing the fight, I think Tobias was a little bit stronger in that regard. Yeah, yes, very true. I just thought from a very like literal standpoint, Rachel mm-hmm. did the most damage this week this Fortnite. excuse me rachel did the most heavy lifting yeah (laughs) her grizzly morph i mean she's out there doing what they're supposed to be doing every day she got like the most powerful animal she could think of and she's like i'm just gonna use this willy-nilly i don't care i'm gonna be bare all the time i think she also probably has the most morphs at this point like she seems to be picking them up quicker than everyone else that could be yeah yeah so good for her she's power hungry she wants that power and that blood. Well, do you want to do series theories or morbid moment next? I don't know which. Uh, let's do series theories because okay. I'm actually kind of not sure on morbid moment. Um, so I've I actually have two, mm-hmm. but I keep forgetting what the one is. So okay. give me a second. <laughs> oh yeah, I remember. Okay, so my one theory is kind of a continuation on my theory from a few episodes ago. Um, so when they go to the future, mm-hmm. the po- the possible future. Visser 3, as we mentioned, has been promoted to Visser 1. In addition, when they show up there, the reason that they have to pretend... Because they're like, oh, we can just walk around as whatever because, like, there's human controllers, so it's fine. So they're, like, walking around, and they get stopped by someone, and they're like, are you guys... Like, they're like, what are your names? Um, And they're like, uh, uh, uh... Butts and forts. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and, and um the person who or the year who stopped them is like are you guys spies you guys must be spies or something like that um so i think this leads into my theory that there is a year rebellion going on somewhere in the organization and that this might be tied to visser one mm-hmm. uh because that would make sense if once the earth gets totally taken over visser one kind of you know, takes the rebellion and they have to go underground and they go into hiding or whatever. And they're trying to work from the inside or whatever. And, uh, in the power vacuum, Visser three rises up to Visser one. Right. Cause uh-huh. we talked about how like Visser one might be, might be a little, a little bit, not entirely for the year cause mm-hmm. due to some oh, of their actions in the past. Crossed. Fingers crossed. Cause I don't think it makes sense for the Yerks to be like, oh, these humans, like, I don't think they think they're human spies because it's made very clear that the humans are completely subjugated at this point. Mm -hmm. The only way that there would be humans walking around is if 
there are yerks walking around without yerks as if there are yerks that are against the main yeah. thrust. So I think that that might it's be a rebel some, group. Some Mr. evidence One made her presence known. Yes, some evidence pointing to some rebellion amongst the yerks. That would That's be my, very good. Yeah, my other theory is. Well, and you know what? This actually kind of combines with Morbid Moment, I think. So in the beginning of this book, they, again, it's the main character addressing us, the audience, and saying, Mm -hmm. this is my name, you don't need to know, whatever, blah, 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 whatever. Um, But she, they specifically say, like, you need to know what's going on, you need to know what's happening, um... So my theory is to how this book series ends. I'm beginning to suspect that it might end with the Animorphs not winning. And that this whole series might be on a meta level supposed to be the end of this might be the Animorphs defeated in some way, but putting the call out to us as a species like, hey, there's this threat and you guys need to, you need to know and you need to help us take care of it. Yes. I'm kind of suspecting that the ending might not be a victory proper, but more of a victory of like, okay, now we're going to tell all of you about this because that that's mm-hmm. the way these books are phrased, right? It's yeah, not like, like kind of like a found footage sort of thing. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's not like you need to know this so that you know how great we are and we defeated this evil. And I mean, it's, a little unclear as to when the narration is taking place. Mm -hmm. But I mean, like it's definitely being put out there as like an instructional, right? Like you need to know this. So you know what we're up against. Yeah. Yeah. So I I don't know. I I guess I would argue that that maybe they're not like, they're not dead, but they're like, no, I'm not saying they're dead necessarily. I'm saying, they're, they're not, still concerned about their names. Yeah, I'm saying they're not gonna. It's either maybe it's not even the ending. Maybe partway through this series, we'll get like, okay, now all of the humans know. I think right. at some point, a big part of the series is going to be making the rest of the world aware of what's going on. They have tried to do that in the past. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it didn't go well. It didn't go but, well. Yeah. If Applegate is thinking ahead that far, I don't know why else the narration would be phrased in this instructional way, you know? I dig it. Yeah, I like that. But yeah, so that would be kind of a morbid moment if we if we assume that they are eventually going to be defeated to the point that they need to call in the rest <laughs> of the world as reinforcements. Yeah, yeah. How about or, you? Did you have a morbid moment? Uh, morbid moment, I think for me, is when... Rachel gets her paw cut off. <laughs> just like yeah. doesn't even realize it. Yeah, it was pretty gross. Yeah, Rachel's whole deal this book was pretty morbid. Like she's just mm-hmm. spiraling and I feel yeah. like she's going to burn out very quickly soon. Mm-hmm. And we well, cuz we read two books at a time. Like in the next book we do see a little bit yes. of her faltering, but still like Rachel underneath it all. I think I think she's gonna crash and burn here soon. She's too much I stress. Think all of them seem like they're kind of something's got. I, I think part of it, I, and the next book, as we mentioned, we read two at a time. The next book kind of addresses it a little bit, but I don't know if it does it enough. So especially because it's outside of the like main thrust of the series. Um, right. We're seven books in, and these kids are so defeated, and they've kind of they've had this victory at this point but Rachel even says like we didn't see the effects of this until way later so we kind of they don't really have like a like they they do this thing and they're like yeah we did it but they don't really see like they don't feel like they did it yeah they don't feel like they've done anything and I get it because the series is so long running like they're obviously not going to strike huge victories against the Yerks every book but they gotta they're gonna have to do something to make it feel like they're not just utterly defeated all the time. Yeah. Yeah. I feel bad for these kids. They're 13. Having a tough time for the entire human race. Yeah. It's rough. Should not be their job. Wow, man. They should be thinking about how they look with braces and pimples and stuff. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But, um, yeah, all that being said, I guess 
next fortnight, we are going to be continuing the Animorphs yeah. series. Uh, we uh, we decided we are reading these in the order they are chronologically written. So we are going yeah. to be moving away from the main series into Animorphs Megamorphs number one. Yes, but I think this is how it was meant to be read. Yes, I think so too. Yeah. Um, There's a lot of shit that goes on in this book, so. Yeah, well... I have comments about it, but we'll see. <laughs> we'll, we'll talk about it next fortnight. Yes. So until then, if you guys want to talk to us about Animorphs, uh, you know, hit us up on social media. We're on Twitter at HateRecast. You can also email us uh, at hate or HateRecast at gmail.com. If you want to talk about Animorphs, we're happy to read like emails, thoughts on the show. Um, or if you have a book suggestion for yeah. Uh, when we get back to, which is going to be in a couple months here, when we get back to our normally scheduled programming, actually, I think it'll be like a month and a half by the time you guys hear this. Um, mm-hmm. so if you guys have like a book that you think is outrageous or really bad or really good, but surprising, like in a surprising way, because we are kind of mixing it up once we come back from this, uh, once we do our relaunch, um, mm-hmm. you know, hit us up on on email, let us know, uh, and we will add it to our schedule. Yeah, we're excited to read a lot of different things. Surprise us with your with your suggestions. Mm. Uh, as always, thank you to Ben Cope for the use of our theme song. You can check out his YouTube channel in our show notes below. And we are also on all of your favorite podcast aggregating platforms. So if you haven't followed or subscribed to us on one of those, you definitely should. Um, especially with the relaunch coming up, you'll want to make sure that you are still following us because we'll be changing our name. So we don't want it to get lost in the internet for you. Um, of course, we'll make a bunch of announcements and stuff when we do that. But also, if you use Apple Podcasts, we would really appreciate it if you could give us a five-star review. Mm-hmm. And if you don't use Apple Podcasts, feel free to proclaim our greatness from every mountaintop. <laughs> <laughs> In the words of K.A. Applegate, Cassie has been my best friend forever. I have no idea why. <laughs> yes, I, I love that. Quote. Savage. You're such a bitch. <laughs> oh. oh, man. Yeah, and I mean, like, he's essentially, yeah, tearing apart the family. Yes, come in here, click clack with your nails. <laughs> He's a good dog. He's a precious baby. <laughs> no, don't encourage him. Don't encourage this behavior. Artie just laid out <laughs> Don't He's just come over here to tippy tap in my face. Come over here. Lay in your bed. <laughs> <laughs>